Welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. There's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Glad that you have joined us today. Um, this might be the last one that I produce through Spotify for podcasters, by the way. If anyone has any advice for a new podcast platform, I'm uh, very perturbed. I mentioned earlier I stopped even doing the ad form, and uh, I don't like the changes they're making. That's just making my life harder. So looking for a new platform to move over to. I'm looking into Acast right now, but if you have advice, shoot it over to me. Anywho, got a good one today with you from Dick Wybrow. He is a narcoleptic, best-selling author, stand-up comedian, rock DJ, and TV producer. Um, we just have a fun time talking. I, I He, I think, might be my first ever guest from the country of New Zealand as well. Um, so there you go. Just let's dive in and enjoy. It's Dick Wybrow and me. All right, everybody. I am very pleased to welcome Dick Wybrow to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you today, Dick? I'm doing good, man. We are smack dab in the middle of summer right now uh, in Auckland, New Zealand, and it's sunny outside today. Right now, it's it's a roast in 25 degrees, which means nothing to, to somebody in the United Cel States. Celsius, but, yeah. So, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Here we go, though. Here we go. All right. So if nothing else, people can say, look, I learned something from Jeff's show, uh, which they probably always say anyhow, right? But no. So so here is a Celsius to Fahrenheit sort of thumbnail sketch. Just take the Celsius number. So we got 25. Double that and add 30, and you basically got Fahrenheit. So if it's 25, double that 50, add 30, 80. So basically, Basically, it's about 80 degrees. It's not perfect, but it gives you a bit of like a, who is hot? Because <laughs> 80, 80 is hot in New Zealand because we have a special kind of sun. I think that comes down to the fact that there's a little bit of a little bit of whole, whole in the ozone layer outside. So uh, so when you go outside and you go into the sun, you're like, what is, what is that? What is that smell? Oh, that's, that's my skin sizzling. It really is. It's, it's <laughs> It's, it's really, really powerful for someone with my complexion, uh, man, you got to really watch it. You got to you either got to get really tall friends, <laughs> stand, stand in their shadow or or just kind of go from tree to tree. Basically, is what that's I've got why do. I have so many friends. They yeah. just use me for shade. I'm basically a human 100%. umbrella. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm five foot uh five foot eight, really five foot seven and three quarters, but I brag, uh, rounded up. But yeah, so I gotta I gotta find tall friends. Anybody shorter than me, really, I don't think we can hang. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little over six one and a half. Good so golly, I, six two is six two is what it says on my IMDb page. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so I I would say come to New Zealand, come if for no other reason, I could use the shade. That'd be great. Umbrella, I'm a human umbrella. That's. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no we're i i always so it's it's the uh it's the next day in new zealand right i, I it always is. get I'm so in the confused with the yeah i always get so confused i i'm i am the future i know what's going to happen we're not allowed to say we are uh, sworn to secrecy i am but i will say avoid steve that's all that's really all i can say don't really kind of give steve 
some space. And that's really not about future casting. That's just as a general rule. (laughs) I've not had luck with never not had a lot of luck with guys named Steve. So I just try to avoid them as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. It's not no shade to the Steves out there. There's probably some lovely Steves out there. I just haven't (laughs) met any. One of my listeners named is Steve. I'm just assuming. And he's going to be right. like, what the hell, man? What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> this guy starts typing on the keyboard. That is the best when when you randomly just get your name. Just you know, like I, I get that a lot with Jeff. It's like, oh, Jeff. Ugh. And it's like, I don't get it so what much. Did I do. I, I didn't I, pick I, it. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it, it so much. To Dick. <laughs> yeah. I, I, every now and then I do have people shout it out at me like, oh, that guy knows me. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, I don't hear too much. It is funny though, when I meet people, because obviously, you know, I was born Richard, my, my, my family, my, my mother had decided when she was a teenager, when I have a boy, it's, the child's going to be named Richard and, and the Wybrows, uh, is a long line of Johns, John, 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 all the way down. And so my father was like, well, obviously he's going to be named John. And my mother was like, no. <laughs> so she broke that trend. And uh, and decided to call me Richard. And really, the first person to call me Dick was my father. But I think <laughs> that was more that he was still he was still bitter about me not being called John. But no, I, but it, so there I am. Yeah, no, that that uh, you know you you don't get to choose your name generally. You you can choose no. you can choose the shortening of your name, yeah. Jeffrey to Jeff, Richard to Dick. But otherwise, you know, it's it's your parents decision you, you know yeah yep my my ex-wife vetoed uh i wanted to name my uh son gino so it's gino macalino she vetoed that um it's got a good ring to it. it sounds a little bit like like maybe a mob heavy in a way yeah i think your guy is cast you know when you, yeah. when you get a name like that it's like you got to be in the mob or uh a boxer maybe like there's not really yeah, I, many I, career paths for gino Macri. i don't know that many people were like gonna hire the accountant named gino unless you know unless, unless they need some <laughs> some <laughs> creative accounting maybe maybe yeah. they need that he could be but the, ma- to help... the mafia's accountant i mean exactly because they did really well for themselves but you know to hide a body yeah gino's your guy yeah yeah i wanted to name my daughter who, whose name is isabella but i wanted her middle name to be mozzarella Isabella, Isabella <laughs> I just thought it sounded great. I mean, it does, right. but you know. And who says your middle name, anyways, right? Hey. Well, and you're no longer with this woman you uh, you were married to. I don't know how. What, I don't know where the breakdown was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll give her credit. <laughs> I know. I'll give her credit on the children naming front. <laughs> right. She she was definitely less into the humor aspect of the name and more into the these children don't want to be a nursery rhyme or (laughs) (laughs) that's not normally sort of sort of the guide you go with i'm gonna name my child what's the funniest thing i can call them (laughs) but but you know if that's your guiding star man you go with it that's great you know yeah that was you know it was just a precursor of what was going to become of my creativity i just luckily had someone there to veto that i think that would work out best um, yeah. my son, my son's a gifted student and, and, you know, get Gino just, you know, he'd be getting in fights, getting hits in the head and yeah, yep. not a, not, not a successful, not a successful life. Um, but speaking of success, let's talk about you. Uh, right. <laughs> look at the natural transition on this guy. Sure. Um, so, uh, comedy, 
uh, writing, yep. uh, narcolepsy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That one maybe not a success. That's just something you ha- you're born with, I, I guess. Yep. Is that uh, actually? I don't even know. I assume that's just a something you're born with, right? That's not something that. So, uh, there the jury's still out on some of this, and I've, I've actually run into a number of folks that actually don't know what narcolepsy is. And narcolepsy, there's a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Basically, it just means you're sleepy all the time. Like even right now. I'm I'm just on right on that raggedy edge of being in a bit of a sleep state. Somebody once described it as uh, stay up for 30 hours and I'll go to work and I'll come home, make dinner and I'll hang out with your spouse. And and I don't I don't know the perception of other people, but for me, I'm just sleepy all the time. But I actually see it as something as that has been something from, uh, positive for my creativity, to be honest, because, you know, the stories I write are kind of nuts. You know, yeah. uh, this one here that uh, that we were sort of uh, yakking about right before the show, this is about about a wolf that gets bitten by a human and the wolf then the next day turns into a six foot seven French Canadian. And so that's nuts. That's that's insane. But somehow I was sort of able to make it work. People seem to like the story, but I think a lot of these sort of out there ideas come from being in this dreamlike state. Because, you know, like when you're like lying down, going to bed and you're just about to fall asleep and you get that amazing idea, like, man, I got to write that down. And you wake up the next day, uh, next day and you don't remember it and you nope. didn't write it down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that state, I'm in that state 80, 85 percent of the day. And when I was first diagnosed with narcolepsy, I found out about it. I always knew I was sort of sleepy all the time, but I found out about it like in my late 20s. And it's like initially I was a little bit like kind of bummed out. Why do I have to have this sort of demon? But then I started to realize that I really think it helped with the creativity and some of the humor and all that. So I actually see this sincerely as a positive, you know, for as tired as I can feel all the time, I see it as part of the creativity. So I see my narcolepsy, narcolepsy to superpower. Is something that helps yeah. me write, you know, and so I've embraced it. I just put a bridle on that thing and I ride that thing through uh, through the writing process. So you are I didn't tell you this beforehand. I'm just alerting the listeners to this because I'm, I'm dropping this on you here. I found that out from listening to, uh, I think, another podcast you were on and you are um well, I'll backtrack here. I'm an insomniac, so basically the opposite, but also the same, similar, because I'm also yeah. sleepy quite often because I've been up for 30 hours and I want right. to sleep and I go lay down in bed at night and it, you know, if I'm not drinking, uh, the sleep a lot of times just doesn't come. It, but right. what, if it does come, I know it's coming because I start getting in that loopy mindset yeah. you're talking about and that's yeah. it, and and you know i used to be like why am i thinking about that like what was i just <laughs> doing and then i'd be back to zero like i'd be why awake again and can't go to sleep now i just lean into it yep. so that's that's neither here nor there i suppose but the the part that i've i've talked about with writers and a lot of them get a little jealous is I'm someone who has a bunch of semi-written screenplays and out of the 10, I would say, that I have between 20 and 80% completed, nine of them were dreams that I just woke up and wrote. And only one of them was like, oh, this is a great idea. Like, awake that I actually, I was drunk, but I, I, I was awake, <laughs> but, right. but I'm like, so, so my dreaming 
I'm very, uh, I, I try, like when things are going well, I'm like the best thing for me to do is take a nap in the middle of the day because somehow I sleep better in the middle of the day. Um, right. And- I think potentially because there's less pressure on yourself because when you lie down and go yeah. to bed at night, because I actually have a bit of insomnia myself, ironically, with, you know, and that's not unusual for people that are, have narcolepsy. But I think when you're lying down, like, okay, here we go. Now we're going to sleep. That you should have putting that pressure on you where, where you're lying down in front of, a, front of a movie on the couch or something. You can doze right off because you don't have really that sleep pressure on you as much. Yeah, no, I, I think there's something to that. It's, it's like bonus sleep. It's like, I don't need this, but if I yep. get it, it's great. Um, yep. but, but those dreams, you know, sober sleep in the middle of the, I vivid, I have very vivid dreams, which used to be a curse because it used to always be bad dreams about gross things. Usually my kids getting hit by cars or stuff like that. Go figure. I worked in auto insurance claims. I wonder where, where those well, you, but you could turn that to a story. I mean, I think Stephen King talks about some of his sort of fantasies. Fantasies is a tough word to use, but you know, there are, there are scenes where I think he actually envisioned one of his kids getting hit by a car and this idea of like carrying the body over the snow and then the red droplets across the snow. And that ended up being a scene in one of his books. So who knows? I mean, even, even some of the, the horrific ones you could potentially turn into a screenplay or a scene in a movie. Uh, because they do That's come, true. I think they come, I think they come from your subconscious. You know, I take, I, you know, dreams are, no one really understands what dreams are in the first place, but I have sort of these waking dreams and my mind starts to wander. And I think a lot of that is just your sort of, you, you've taken all the things that happen through you through the day and all your mind wanderings and maybe whatever you looked on, on Google or whatever it was, and your subconscious cooks stuff up and starts shooting things out. Almost like pitching ideas. What about this? You know? Yeah, it, it, it's a fascinating thing, and I I haven't I have I have two uh, I shouldn't share one of them because it maybe borders on my uh, the thing I'm writing about it, but but I and I do have recurring dreams now. With the main one being that, and by the way, I don't know if you watch Marvel movies, but I've said this on my podcast way before Doctor Strange came out and said that dreaming you 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 take control of a or you visit a yourself in another universe right said that way before dr strange came out marvel actually <laughs> stole the idea from this podcast um i'm sticking to that story i mean the the first sure. part's true i don't think marvel listens to this podcast but right i digress um but now i have actual recurring dreams where it's like understood that well i'm visiting a, a different version of me in another universe and this is this person's situation. Um, and by the way, I'm not going to spoil it, but I actually had a great conclusion. Because so the problem with dreams, you can uh, you can probably relate to this is you get a lot of the great middle of a story in a dream. When you start right. dreaming, you're usually in a situation. You don't really know how you got there to begin with. You don't, but it makes sense in the dream. Yeah. And for me, at least, usually wake up before you actually get the conclusion. So from <laughs> right. a writing perspective, it's like, I've got this great middle. Right. I can usually figure out how to build my way there in the start. But it's like, but I didn't know how it ended. And I, you know, you can't just go back to sleep and say, I want to finish. I want to, you know, left off where I uh, finish where I left off on the DVR. Uh, if only that would be great. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I do find like if you were to have that middle part, right? Like when I'm writing, if if I can sort of craft something into whatever that middle part be uh, might be, that if I've got my characters down good enough, if I've really worked them out and the relationship between the two of them have a basic idea of what they're chasing after, uh, usually when I hit about one third the way into the story, I'm kind of just dictating with the with the characters. I know that sounds super flaky, but I'm just I'm just kind of d- dictating what uh, or writing down what these characters are saying to me. I'm taking notes on sort of what is in the head of these characters. Now I know that's a subconscious. I don't actually think it's people in my head. It might be, but um, I, I start to write sort of these ideas down. And it's really an amazing feeling as an author when that moment comes where the characters start to really start to dictate this, this story to you and tell you what's going to be happening next. It's, a, it's really, it's one of the greatest things about writing. It's, it's an amazing feeling. Um, yeah. So yeah, just start writing it, get to that middle. And if you've got your characters nailed out, they'll tell you how it ends. Yeah, no, 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 I, I, I like that, and I did, I did. I, I, again, I'm not going to say it on air in case this ever, in case it ever makes it. But I did finally get like a conclusion to to right. the the multiverse stream where I'm like, oh, I, I woke up with a big smile on my face. I'm like, and and part of me, one of one of the things that's that's funny is now I I look at this from a writing perspective, but also I've I've talked to a bunch of paranormal people in in the past about lucid dreaming which is kind of different but also about um astral projection sure so so part of that's like well maybe the maybe it's not a dream maybe maybe i am doing this and conscientiously going to some other universe and 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 handling things there for that jeff um (laughs) i mean it's so so it's like when I woke up, I'll be honest, my first thought was like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Like, and then I'm like, oh, wait, I just got an ending to this script. <laughs> right. Um, it's almost, I, and I don't know if, if you feel this way, it's, but, but again, it is your brain. It is your subconscious. But I, I, I've, I've talked to some writers who are jealous because it's almost like cheating, but not, it's not, they're not saying it's cheating, but it's like, you know, instead of having to sit and think of this, you just go to sleep and it and it comes to you. And I'm like, well, that's that's a gift, right? Like that's you know, it's like I think most of the best something. idea the best ideas for me when it comes to plot or when it's, especially when it comes to dialogue it, or even just the humor in the stories, it's never something that I had to think of. There's never a moment I go into a scene and go, make this funny i need to make this interaction funny it's just something that's going to come out of the subconscious um and that's always fine with humor writing and i can sort of tell when i'm reading an author that felt like they needed to make this moment funny uh, because they lean into it too hard and it becomes kind of cringy Uh, Mm. but i always find that the best stuff coming from dreams or come from the subconscious whatever it might be the best stuff always just kind of comes to you i did radio uh like we're talking earlier for about uh, a dozen years or so and i had the great pleasure to talk with a lot of amazing artists. And one of them was Tom Petty, name drop. Uh, one of them was Tom Petty. And Tom Petty, you know, because everybody would ask him about what's your inspiration. And he would kind of laugh that off because he'd been asked it for 40 years or whatever it was. Right. And he said that it's 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 just these gifts that come down. That was his expression. He said, these gifts come down to me. Uh, and it's not something that I can say, oh, I need to be inspired about this song right now. Let me write this song. It'd be something that just sort of kind of came down to him. And that's when that's when it was really working. And I, I feel that's the way it is with writing. It's like you, you can set up an environment 
I can sit and write and I can start slogging through. And there are definitely times where I'm pushing it uphill. But then there's a moment where something in the subconscious or these gifts that come down and suddenly I'm flying and I don't have any control of that. It's going to happen uh, when it happens. But you do have to put yourself in that environment for that moment to happen. Yeah, it's being open to it, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's that's the part of it. Have you um... and also and also accepting the fact that you know maybe this sort of inspiration or this sort of moment might go off on a off on the rails somewhere where you don't necessarily want to take it. Um, I speak to a lot of like new authors that say like they hit writer's block or whatever, and I always tell them just just write. It's like yeah, but I don't know what. To, don't worry about it. Just just start writing. And you, whatever you might write, you might write a thousand words in the end, you might keep a hundred of them or 50, whatever it might be, but there'll be something in there that'll help you hook on to what's going to be happening next. But the worst you can do is sit down as a writer and go like, I oh, don't know what to do next because you can really, really put the, put the blocks on you with that sort of thing. Just go, just do it. And you might cut it out. You might cut, you might find some gold in there. Who knows? Writer's block is a little bit like insomnia. <laughs> if if you I mean, it's the pressure to do it, and your brain puts up a wall. I mean, I, 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 I've never really compared the two, but I feel like it's kind of, you know, insomnia's sleep I do, block. I, <laughs> yeah, I do think a writer's block is a little bit self-inflicted sometimes, and this is my own perspective. You know, you get too wound up and too inside your own head. Um, and, you know, you take a look at any author worth their salt, not including myself in that, but any author, uh, especially some of the greats will say a first draft, really, it, they, they suck. The, the first drafts are always going to suck. So if you give your permit, yourself permission to suck, you say, listen, I've got a bit of writer's block right now. It's like, give yourself permission to suck and start writing. It kind of alleviates some of that. And then, like I said, maybe so what you're about to write is going to really not be very good at all. But there's probably something in there. Or at least, if nothing else, you've sort of greased the wheels of it. You've broken that inertia. It's that inertia where you're not moving. That's the toughest to break out of. So give, your permi give yourself permission to suck. <laughs> start yourself writing, and you'll get there. You'll, you'll push right through it. I, I have done that and I have written stuff that really sucks. <laughs> and hopefully I edit that, a lot of that stuff out. But many, many times I've found gold in there as I did it. Yeah, well, it, it's it is interesting because I, I dabbled in in stand up uh, just doing open mics. And I, I did a you know, I I started doing them during covid, which meant I was doing Zoom mics, which was god awful. That's but, tough. Yeah. With so no audience, good, man. That's not a good that's, time to that's start. Tough. <laughs> um that is so that's I, tough i think that kind of took the wind out of my sails i, I did in person once too uh but you know it's like it's hard but uh, but uh, what i although it's interesting and i'll i'll ask you to to compare but uh all my stand-up stuff has always been observe not observe i don't want to say it's observational but it's always been stuff like my life like things i either notice I used to, I still keep a notebook with jokes, even though I haven't done stand-up in like more than a year now. Um, I still write them down. I have a document on my computer too, where if I'm, I'll, I'll type. And when I'm actually writing, I will sometimes go and scroll through those and see if, you know, I want to add some humor in here. Is there anything in here that fits? And oftentimes there is like, oh, wow, that, that actually works really well with this. Uh, not good enough to do on stage with stand-up, but but the uh, uh, the thing I always said with stand-up is I if I stay at home, uh, 
if I'm not out doing things, the well is dry. I've got nothing. Like it's sure. nothing comes. Sure. I need to be out, which is kind of the opposite with the writing that I do where it's all in my bed. Like that's where the, the, the genius happens <laughs> is sleeping. I wish I could say that's where the genius happened in other ways, but you know, <laughs> I think um, for me with the writing, it's the same sort of thing though. I do try and get out like, especially anytime I sort of, I'm sort of struggling to move on, you know, cause you go out and there's things that, you know, there might be somebody at the checkout line or there might be somebody at the park or whatever, uh, or a moment happened where you see some kid tumble off the monkey bars or something, just something to kind of, I think in, in corporate America, they call it river jumping, right? Because you get on this sort of train of thought and one thought's going to lead to the next thought, to the next thought. And you need something to kind of shake you out of that. If you're not creating at that point, you need something to shake you out of it. Like the beginning of the Kane series, <clears throat> I was just starting into it and I was having a hard time getting the start. Sometimes starting is the hardest part. Mm. And my father-in-law was in town from Texas. Uh, so he came all the way over on that 18 hour flight and he's a big car nut. And so my wife is like, hey, we're going to go to the car show. I was like, oh, I'm struggling with the writing right now. I was like, oh, we're going to go to the car show. And so we ended up going to the car show. And sure enough, when I was there, I was like, oh, there's so much I could do in this moment with all this. And so I came back and the next morning, whoo, I was off to the races and the, the very start of Kane, they're heading to a car show. And there's actually an entire sequence, a bit of a MacGuffin in a way that leads you through this search for this, uh, this person who was involved with this purple car. And so, yeah, all that came from going out. That's what uh, like uh, my old talent coach used to say in radio. Uh, he's, you know, he would just say, get out. You know, get out and do stuff, you know, for as much as because radio can be one of those things. Like if you're doing morning radio, that means you're going to bed sometimes at eight o'clock and you're up in the morning at about three. And he would still say, don't don't stay at home. Don't be a hermit because you will won't get material that way. You need to go to events. Yeah. You need to go to concerts. You need to go to the restaurant. You need to all these things, because that's the sort of thing that's going to start to inform some of the stuff you're going to be saying on the radio. It's exactly the same way I feel when it comes to the writing is you've got to experience life to write about it. Yeah, I, I've I've actually said to uh to a friend, I'm like, if uh well and and moving now I'll need to re retarget my things, but I, I, I always said if my if my uh money situation and my uh health were better, meaning calorically I can't afford to do this every day or I would die. But I my my thought is when I don't don't have my kids what I would love to do is wake up in the morning, walk. There's a, a place that serves great breakfast about a mile, two miles away. Just walk there. Then on the way back, by the time I'm done, and bring my laptop to write, stop at this bar that opens at 11 a.m. You know, it's it's half a mile from my house. And just, just do that every day that I don't have my kids. Just go eat breakfast, type away, go get drunk at a bar, see who's in there at 11 o'clock because that – by itself i think always is a it's it's um it's similar to um when i get an oil change i go to a a place that's right across from a mall right and i do it on purpose on a weekday when i don't have the kids so i can leave my car there and go walk around the mall and i just have my phone out and i'm typing all these things because it's like Who's at a mall at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday? Like, what, what's what's going on with your life? <laughs> and, and there's got to be an element. To, I always feel there's got to be an element where 
it's the wrong word, but where you get a bit bored, right? For your mind to be able to wander. Because I have a tendency every now and then I'll be listening to podcasts or I'll listen to audiobooks, which I love. Um, but uh, but like I was driving because I just wrapped up doing a 20 year television career back uh, late last year in in December. And when I would go, because I, I used to ride a motorcycle to work and I would always have like a podcast or something in my ear. But I noticed that then my head was focused on that. The moment I stopped listening to audiobooks every single time, but the moment I stop listening to podcasts every single time, the mind starts to wander. Not you don't wander too much on a motorcycle. Yeah. Right. And right. then and then in that in that sort of bored state, you start to think about the story. And there's and it's difficult sometimes when you prescribe time to think about your story, same thing with the sleep thing. It could feel like pressure, but you'll be surprised what that bored mind can come up with. And I think it's a little bit like when your mind sort of it, almost like hypnotic, because it is a bit hypnotic sometimes uh, riding or, or driving or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's your subconscious goes like, our turn. And, and it just sort of comes up into there. And I've had some of the greatest sort of ide plot ideas or character moments or whatever it might be, just driving. And I got to make sure I either write it down or take some notes. Stephen King always says, don't worry about taking notes. If it's a really good idea, you won't forget about it. But I just don't trust my brain. <laughs> I'm going to forget about it. So I'll, I'll yeah. put those notes down when I get to where I'm going. I'll show When I used to show up at work, hold on a sec. Let me start writing stuff down because otherwise I, I'd lose it at some point during the day. Well, I've said before, uh, you know, celebrities get their phone hacked and get their nudes leaked. I'm not a celebrity, but if someone hacked my phone and leaked all my photos, I wouldn't give a shit. But if they did release my voice memos, yeah, that that that's the the uh, I'm in the car and like, oh, I'm gonna record myself. I, I got this great idea. Sometimes I do it when I'm hammered. Those are right. interesting. Sometimes I do it in the middle of the night. Those usually are not coherent. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm like that, that, that would, you know, that would, that would make, get me like hospitalized. Like they would be like, all oh, right, yeah, he's not, he's <laughs> right. not okay. He needs, he needs help. Yeah. But I mean, but also that idea is like, they're your own thoughts. You're allowed to go anywhere you want with it. And it is difficult taking notes with stuff. You know, um, I'll write some stuff like uh, in my book here. Um, I don't, I don't put too much, but some stuff like in my Google keep and things like that. But for the most part, um, I don't put any governors on it. If I get some crazy thought that's next level, I'll check it down somewhere. And my, thankfully my wife doesn't go through all my notes. <laughs> she has no interest in seeing the stuff that I'm writing. Um, uh, when it comes to, you know, sort of like early uh, beginnings of a story or something like that. But yeah, you have to give yourself, like I said earlier, that per permission just to go haywire, open your mind up because even your mind going to somewhere where it might be something that you're never going to put down on paper it does sort of jog your brain a bit where there might be creative story that comes out of it did i um i don't know why i started that sentence with did i i i wrote myself into a corner there uh did i i remember uh talking to another person uh another comedian who had narcolepsy another author who had right. narcolepsy actually and no um kidding. One thing I uh, he made clear was that he had to stay away from booze and weed and stuff because he's already sleepy and that would. But when you're talking about letting your mind kind of go, you know, maybe this is lazy. But aside from sleeping, my best writing comes when I'm taking an edible. The problem with taking an edible is that your brain's saying all these great things, but you're not motivated enough to type them. 
So, well, you know, Hemingway, you, Hemingway was famous for saying, write drunk and edit sober. So maybe the creative side of it is you take your edible or have a couple of drinks if that works for you. Like you said, for me, I don't drink. <clears throat> I stopped drinking a couple of years ago and I, I'm not, I'm not big up it, but I work out four or five days a week. And that's just to, to be healthy and to kind of combat some of the sleepiness that I might have from the narcolepsy. Um, and I've never been a real big weed guy for that exact same reason. I'm already yeah. sleepy. I don't need anything to add to the sleepy. So there was nothing against anybody who does it. It's just it didn't work for me because right. I would get more sleepy. I did cocaine for about a year. That was amazing because I was it was amazing. I didn't pay for it, which is even better. I happen oh, yeah. to know a guy who knew a guy. I was 19. <laughs> Dude, I, I, and I don't recommend it to anybody. I'm not saying that. But for somebody who has narcolepsy, to the first time in my life going like, I'm not feeling sleepy. Now, of course, there was a little bit of that cocaine buzz in there, which probably tainted it a bit. But that was one of the first moments, to be honest, uh, that I was like, I think I might have an issue. I mean, I was like 19 years old at the time, 18, 19, when this was happening, uh, because I actually felt awake. Or at least it was such a queer idea. It's like, I don't feel like I need to sleep at this moment. And that was really one of the first times in my life. And then years later, when I ended up uh, being diagnosed with narcolepsy, um, I, I take something called modafinil, which I don't know. It doesn't, I don't know if it really helps, but they will prescribe to methamphetamine salts, basically stuff like um, Adderall and things like that. And those will help you up. Uh, the problem is I do feel that they kind of make me a bit angry. And so I try to avoid those. But yeah, so that's, I fight as best as I can. So I cut out the drinking. I try and regulate my diet. There's, there's whole narcolepsy groups where people are trading around ideas, you know, take, take some of this, take tumor, <laughs> anything, because it can be kind of debilitating for some people. And, and I just find that I try to be as healthy as I can be. And hopefully uh, it helps. And it might be even something where as long as I think it helps, it helps. Because, you know, I've been in news for many years uh, up until, like I said, just late last year. And there is definitely something to this. If you believe something works, then it's going to work like the placebo effect. Right. But they actually worked out. And this was a few years ago. They worked out that the efficacy of drugs, the efficacy 40, as much as 40, 50 percent of the efficacy of a particular drug comes down to you believing that that will work. And so I've got this method because I grew up in Canada and I uh, ended up, uh, for the most part, my formative years, my teenage years and that sort of thing in the Midwest. So I got a lot of colds, (laughs) part of the nature of it. But I stopped getting colds when I started basically creating this drink. Right. And it was just half beer, half tomato juice. And I put as much spicy stuff as I could into it. I don't even know if I know why I started doing this, but apparently I've heard other people try this. So I'd chop a jalapenos, chucked it in, cayenne pepper, chucked it in to the point where, I mean, it was hard to drink, but I would slam that down. And if I got a tickle in my throat and the next day, man, I'm good. And I didn't get sick for 10, 15 years until it came into New Zealand. And there was all these new bugs going like, oh, here's here's a visitor. But then I would, I would, like I said, I would take this real spicy drink and it would help. And I started to think, I wonder what that is. It could be because they have used things like spices in that because it will kick in like endorphins. Endorphins might have some effect on your health, these sort of things. But I stopped, I stopped Googling because I was like, I don't want to know. 
Because right. if at some point I find out that actually this doesn't work, then it might not work in my head anymore. They did this thing many years ago, and you can take a look at this. There's a study about wart medicine. Have you ever heard of this before? So this wart medicine, and they gave this wart medicine, uh, so the control group who just got like saline or whatever it was. And then this other one, they got the wart medicine. And they found out this wart medicine quite, it did quite good. It was like 60% of the people that took it, their warts shrunk. But they couldn't work out why like 25 or 30 percent of the people who took the placebo took just the saline. Their warts shrunk, too. That doesn't make any sense. And they realized it was just in the head of these people. They were convinced that this stuff was going to work. But the moment they told these people and said, that's funny, it shouldn't have worked. You just had basically the placebo. Boom, their warts were back. And so yeah. I really believe that in your brain, if you convince yourself, if you BS yourself enough that you can believe yourself into better health potentially or whatever it yeah. might be, like I said, get, getting better through, uh, you know, a spicy drink. Well, I, I know that uh, I, I've heard about studies and I'm not the percentages I'm not going to get right because I don't know anything off the top of my head uh, unless we're talking about the New Orleans Saints. But but um they, I, I remember hearing about studies about headaches and back pain. Right. Uh, and I had back surgery when I was 25. I legitimately have, have back problems. But even that, it, it's still like, uh, uh, am I just, is it in my head? Um, but most headaches and back pain are mental. They're not physical. Um, right. It's just, you're stressed, you're this, that, the other, and, and you're deciding to, to do it. Stomach aches is the other thing. I knew I was forgetting something. Right. Stomach aches. I, it's not physical. It's, it's mental. Um, my doctor also tells me that when I complain about my dick not working all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but <laughs> uh, yeah, just take a, take a blue pill. It could be just nothing. And, and all of a sudden, it works. It's amazing. Sometimes it's hard to fit that blue pill in, though. Yeah, that's the tough part. That makes it difficult. <laughs> that's hard. But, but it's worth it in the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, yeah, uh, too many stories I won't share. Um, <laughs> I've probably shared them before, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll spare everyone. Um, but no, the power of the mind, I mean, I, I think it, yeah. it can do a lot more than people realize it, it it depends on your mindset because we all know people who are perpetually sick just sure. always sick or uh i'm stealing this from adam carolla he said there, uh, he said my mom was always sick just getting over something or just coming down with something there was ne right. never never like healthy and happy it was always oh i just got over this i'm i i feel this tickle in my throat or my stomach starting and it's like that, that's I, I know a lot of people that are that way that just always have an ailment. And sometimes it's me, but not sickness since I got divorced. Actually, I've, I've been sick very infrequently. <laughs> right. No, I think part of it, too, is like you're saying, because you can definitely get into a bit of a vicious circle, you know, especially when it comes to getting a bit down on yourself or a bit of depression, whatever. My 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 wife is Southern. And so, you know, and writers have a tendency to get in a bit of dark moods every now and then. So I might go a couple of days where I'm feeling kind of blue and down. And her solution is like, we just get over it. <laughs> and I know that sounds really simplistic and cold, but she's kind of got a point. 
I mean, for the most part, I mean, when it comes to me, there's some people that definitely have, you know, they've got some issues that they got to work through. But when it comes to me, it's this general anxiety that doesn't seem to come from anywhere. It's just sort of festering within myself. And so <laughs> with no sympathy at all, first couple of days, sympathy. But by day three, she's like, uh, you need to be done with this now. And so she just said, you just need to get over it, be in a better mood. And it sounds really simplistic, but she's got a point. And I try to do that. And sometimes it's a matter, like we said earlier, just getting out and doing something, getting out of your head a little bit. Or writing. Writing always puts me in a better mood. Well, something something that you were meant to do, obviously, right? Yeah, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Well, and it's something that I was sort of, I fell into. The, the whole idea when I got into stand-up comedy, which I did for a couple of years, like from like 19 to 23 or so, um, was it wasn't even about doing stand-up comedy. It was about the writing because I had come over from Canada um, when I was nine years old. So I was a I was a chubby, redheaded nine year old coming into the New Jersey school system with a Canadian accent. That is a baptism by fire. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of ways in the ways of friends. And so that's when I started writing stories. And so some people have imaginary friends. I had friends I created on paper. Basically is what it came down to. And so over the years, I sort of developed that a bit to where I would write more and more all the time. And I eventually got friends and all this sort of thing when I moved to Minnesota, great folks up in Minnesota. But uh, but it was the desire to get published that put me on stage. It wasn't for as much as I love stand up because I used to listen to all the greats, you know, the, you know, Eddie Murphy's and even Bob Newhart back in the day, do the telephone thing, uh, George Carlin and Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby kind of fell out of favor of late. But yeah. I used to love the structure and, and the voodoo of comedy and all that so i always loved stand-up but i was trying to get published and so i would have been like i said 18 19 or so and i would send out these pitches off to these various magazines and so this is back before internet and so you used to, have to send out what was called an s-a-s-e a self-addressed stamp envelope the mm. idea being is you take your story put an envelope and then you put a stamp on this envelope with your address on there put it inside so when the rejection comes back You've paid for that, <laughs> but it would, but it would take months. Sometimes it take months. It was, like I said, pre-internet. So nowadays the rejecting rejection can come like that. You can get it the next day. That's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes they don't reject it, which is great too. But so I actually had this mindset and this actually was the thought process. If for my love of stand-up comedy, if I write something out, if I come up with some story or storyline, now, of course, the short stories were more sort of like fiction, where the storylines I was doing for writing stand-up comedy, as you said, was sort of like life-based, that sort of thing. But if I write something and then get on stage, then officially I am published. And so that was what, what got me on stage. It wasn't this massive, massive desire to get up in front of people. It was just this desire for people to hear the stories and get published. And so that carried me for the first couple of years of just writing stuff out and doing these stories and crafting them over years because I wanted to present these stories to people. And that's what put me on stage. Not a great desire to get up and do stand up because um, for as much as you and I are talking like this, I'm actually a rather shy person. And so getting up on stage, I actually was, was a bit uh, traumatic. But that desire I had to get my stories out there, you know, overshadowed that. And it got me up on stage. That's that's awesome, because I the, I've said this before, too, is I, I've thought um, I, the most likely way I go back and start doing some stand up is to go to open mics and literally test out scenes in a movie by telling a story basically sure 
yeah. you know, t- tell this five minute scene in a five minute set. See where people laugh, if you, see where they don't. If you frame don't. if you frame it, that could potentially work. And the fun part with stand-up, as you as you might know, is just how it develops because you'll be surprised the moments that get a a, a bit of a, a blip from the audience. Like the first time I did stand-up, um, I did an open mic night at the valley in I think it was Dinky Town, Minneapolis. So it was like a, a college area, but this was a dive bar in in Minneapolis. And it was open mic night. And so it was like singers and comedians. And when I came in there and I signed up on the sheet, apparently didn't get a lot of comedians. Like when I say didn't get a lot, they get none. It was just all folk singers (laughs) in in this dive. So when I came in, oh, apparently we've got got a comedian coming up on stage. And so I came up there, a big spotlight, just the one beam as they try to work out how to raise the mic. Because it was just so rare for them to have anybody do stand up. It was always just sort of like at, at you know, a bar stool level so that the hippies could sing their sad songs. And so but when I got are. there, I had to move and move the, the chair out of the way, wipe off the tears and all that and do stand up. And I did five minutes. And I tell you what, man, uh, five minutes, it's a t- whole time expansion because five minutes at a crowd that's staring at you is an eternity. It's not five minutes. It feels like five years. It doesn't end. But within that five minutes, there was a moment that I got uh, some chuckles. So all that five minutes went and it was just sweat and bullets. But for that 22 seconds, I got some laughs. And so what I did was from there, I just, and this is sort of a maxim I use in my life now, strip away the stuff that doesn't work and just do more of the stuff that is. And I know it sounds simple, but it's kind of hard. You put that into your head. So after that first night, I had 22 seconds. (laughs) Now, how do I expect, how do I expand that out? Because I don't think I can do a career in this with 22 seconds. And so that's what I did. 22 seconds became a minute, which became three minutes. And three minutes is when you're doing stand-up comedy, that's sort of like, in open mic night back in the day when I used to do it, that was sort of your early benchmarks was three minutes. If you can nail that three minutes, you get five and then seven and 10. And then eventually I worked my way up to 35, 40 minutes. And, uh, and it was going really, really well. Yeah. It, it's what, one thing I, I noted, I, I didn't record most of my sets, which I kick myself for, but uh, on several of my smart jokes, I use quotation marks, listeners. Uh, my my smart jokes. I noticed that the laughs often came two seconds or so after I made the joke, and I just right. was quiet. And so somebody pointed out to me, "Well, you did something during that silence that made them laugh," and that was right. what kind of threw me to be like, "All right, I'm just going into acting." Like. I do better acting than I do writing and telling jokes. Plus, it, it's you know, I'm I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I'm saying I'm 37 years old. I mean, I was 34 when I started stand up, but it's like it, it, it's gonna. I know from listening to people, it's gonna take seven to ten years before you can make money, like legitimate money. It's like I'm not. I don't have that much time to to put into. Oh, you, you got plenty of time, man. You have plenty. Well, of, I'm 50. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 55, 55 years old now. And, uh, and you know, it, you, you can make anything. I mean, you take a look. I mean, there were the Howie Mandels of the world where that guy went up on stage once and got a yeah. contract. That's really rare. That does not happen. But, you know, you grind it out. I think ultimately, if you want to do it, 
then you do it. Um, it's a little bit like the writing side of it. Like a number of people have said, because I've been writing my entire life. I only really, really kind of leaned into the writing stuff, even though I already had a job. I was with 60 hours a week. I only really started leaning into the writing stuff in about 2018. And so it's like, it's like, well, how do you keep on doing it? It's like, because it's what I want to do. It's, it's, it's within me. It's, it's something I have to do. And I think if you're going to do something that's hard, and stand-up comedy is hard, writing is hard. If you're going to do something that's hard, but if you have a desire to do it, not looking for a certain benchmark of success, that you just really enjoy doing it, I think you can push through anything. If you really yeah. enjoy doing stand-up, and I don't know if you do, but if you really enjoyed getting on stage and doing stand-up, and you just did it for a couple of years because something you enjoyed, eventually you would find success. I do believe that that you just keep plugging away and you might be 45 when it happens. But I knew plenty of guys in their fifties and sixties back when I was doing standup and they were doing great for themselves. You know, they would tour around yeah. uh, various parts of the country, do really, really great. But I think that's what it comes down to. If, if you want to kind of be a bit of an outlier and something, it's gotta be something you're passionate about because the stuff that's really hard, it can't just be about you finding what is that benchmark for success? It's gotta be, I gotta do this. And for me, the writing is the same way. If I never sold another book, I would still write until I died. It's just something yeah. I have got to yeah. do. I've got to get it out of me. And, and basically it, it's almost that little bit about, you know, the immovable force you know, the impossible thing that's in front of you. It's like, the thing is, if you keep smashing away at that rock with a pencil, eventually the rock is going to crumble away because the rock's like, hey, he's still going. Why is he still going? It'll crush at some point. Um, but yeah, that's what's been driving to me with the writing side. Of it. I just love doing it so much. I love crafting the worlds and that those moments where you're writing and you're really in the zone is such a drug. It really is. It's such an amazing feeling that I want to keep chasing after that. And, and, and thankfully for me, I've been very lucky that people have been responding to it. Yeah, no, well, and, and I, I think, I, I think that's something that, uh, that, that message you just gave right there is something that I wish everyone would hear and not everyone has, that thing or or maybe that thing uh works in their life i i don't know i i i uh but it doesn't I, have I, to be a creative but it'd have to be creative it doesn't have to be right. stand-up it doesn't it doesn't have to be i mean my mom it sounds loves like i'm joking mom. <laughs> like, yeah exactly right yeah that's or it could thing. be like you know what I love, I love my lawn and you know, and I know that sounds goofy, but it's like, if you, if, and then just get out there and you get the perfect edging and what can you do, but really get into it, you know, take that soil sample down to, uh, down to the city, have them test the pH. And you'll find that if you really, really, really dig making your lawn the best in the neighborhood, if that's really something that drives you and you really got into it, your life gets better. I really feel that because mm -hmm. you're doing something that you're really passionate about. But, you know, you find the thing that you're really, really into and go all in. It doesn't, you know, and just stick to it. Just keep sticking to it. And you will stick to it because it's something you enjoy. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the the dream world that I live in. Uh, you know, and, and hopefully it, it, it bears fruit in the long run. But that's what people say. It's um, somebody posed the question to me. What if you win the lottery tomorrow? Would you still do your podcast? I said absolutely, but I'd I'd yeah. pay money and uh, I'd just host the podcast. If so, I'd hire people to do everything else, but I would still right. absolutely do the podcast. Uh, someone said, "Would you Would you still act?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, I'd I'd be more selective. I'd probably actually 
do my own movies. Like I, uh, you know, I, I figure out, you know, my half baked premises and everything and hire a writer to Yeah, It's like, yeah, I, w- I would love to do that. Uh, now, by the way, would you do stand up? No, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> if I would, you know, if I, I was worth a hundred million dollars, no. <laughs> I've been really lucky, as you said earlier, with but the television side and the radio side to speak with amazing, I mean, top of the line actors and 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 rock stars and all this sort of thing. And and not the newer ones, the younger ones are pretty cocksure. They feel like they've earned this. But the ones that have been around for a couple of years, they really get it. And again, I'm going to drop another name, but Steven Tyler from Aerosmith was talking about when I used to, went out to the rock station in Atlanta and he was talking about his success. And there's no doubt Aerosmith, I mean, you know, as big as it used to be, but they're one of the biggest rock bands of all time from like the yeah. 70s to the 90s. And he admitted freely, he was just like, we weren't the best band to come out of out of Boston. We weren't even in the top 30 or 50. He said, we just really went at it, really made it happen. And we, had, we got a moment of luck. We had a good number of moments of luck. And so that's the thing. I think that you have this best you can to keep hammering at it and know that if you're not succeeding the way you want, just that moment of luck hasn't quite happened. And you, you, how many different stories you hear about somebody who, who, you know, who knows? Like you and I are sitting down here talking on this podcast. So let's say that there's uh, somebody Sheboygan, uh, Michigan. I think it's in Michigan, and, and a fan of your podcast. And then his brother-in-law happens to be Quentin Tarantino or something like that. And so Quentin gets in the car because they're driving off to the, the restaurant, and that dude's listening or that woman is listening to your podcast, hearing us talk. I mentioned this idea about Kane and Quentin goes, that's a gonzo idea. I'd love to make that into a movie. That's what I mean, that those moments happen in life all the time. But the only sort of way, I mean, you can't sit at home and hope the luck happen. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to get out there, start swinging for the fences. And when that happens, it's not always going to happen. But when that happens, you have an opportunity to create yourself a bit of luck. Luck is necessary to kind of really make it sometimes, especially in these creative arts. But you got to create an environment for that to happen, which is what you're doing every day. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I've had this discussion with my daughter, who's a big Swifty. Uh, and, right. And I, I, I said, I'm like, look, Taylor Swift, not the most talented. She, she's not the most attractive. <laughs> I, I mean, you're trying, trying to win people over now. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Yeah, you know, J- Joe Coy didn't do so good with his t- Taylor Swift material, so maybe you want to back away from this. One. No, 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 I'm I'm pot committed now. I'm, uh, uh, but yeah, okay, but but well, well, so what I'm saying, I she is she she's great. I love what she's done for herself. But uh, okay, the the same thing can be said about Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. If you want to throw it back to people who are less, you know, fiery, uh, because uh, you know I'm older, but. But I think but, what you're saying, though, she busts her ass. I mean, there's fewer people that bust she her ass. Her ass and, right. and she does. And and she really she really hammers that in and really goes nonstop and really understands her listeners um, and her fans. And that's yeah. what it is. You just keep you just keep hammering at keep it going. And, and at some yeah. point along the line, I think for her, she was very young, but she got an incredible lucky opportunity. 100%. And that's what, because again, it's it, there. There's always someone. I, I remember someone saying this to me when I was a teenage boy. You've probably heard it. There's always going to be someone smarter than you. It's always going to be someone stronger than you. There's always going to be someone with a bigger penis. Just accept it and go out and, and do the best you can. 
And that's the same. Did your mom tell you that? <laughs> a Catholic priest. I don't know. Some people have those relationships with their parents. Who knows? Pure uh, honesty. I, I don't remember who told me it, but I, I've heard it a few times. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. Yeah, I know yeah, the yeah. first time was yeah. as a teenager. And it's like, yeah. that. You just accept. You you know, just do, do the best you can. And I I've, I, I, did come to this realization because I talked about some of I'm like, ah, I'm doing some small acting stuff. I've got a, uh, a, 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 a movie that just came out and another one that will come out soon um, later this year. Um, but not a lot. Um, and, uh, I was, somebody saying, Oh, just keep doing it. You're one yeah. big break away. And I, I said, I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, well, actually I was talking to one of my co-stars on the movie that just came out and he got an audition and a callback for an MCU role, a, a big role. Oh, right. And it's like, right. all right, well, I was just a lead in a movie with this guy. <laughs> like, right. And another movie I, I, I was in, that's not out yet. Uh, I, I went and uh, on his IMDb page, looked at the reel, and the first thing in the reel is him acting in a scene with a, an Academy Award-winning actor, Cuba Gooding Jr. I'm like, huh? I guess I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as far. Yeah, but again, it, there's luck, there's persistence, there's all those sure. things. Just keep keep grinding, and you never know what can happen. But I, I suppose it's also this idea of. <laughs> yeah this this idea of sort of being open to you know open to different experiences and like when i first came here i just wrapped up at cnn and i came into town here in Auckland, new zealand and it's a very small television market so i was sending out resumes and not hearing much back and i was trying to work out a way to break into the television industry and somebody here said we should do some extra work and i was like i'm trying to do any work and no 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 extra work and they literally meant be extras in television shows. Oh, yeah. something I had never even considered. I don't even know what you're talking about. And so, but I had time on my hands because I wasn't working yet. And so I ended up going, I did I extra work in, I think I played a doctor in one of them. I played a ministry of health doctor. I kept on getting doctors. I don't know why. Uh, that, um, and, and, you know, then I was a, like somebody as a bartender. I never had any lines, whatever it might be. But then within that experience, I met somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who worked in the television industry in the news department. And I got a meeting through that person. And, and then I ended up getting, you know, getting hired. And it, but it took sort of like, Somebody saying, do this thing that doesn't make sense to you. I mean, not totally doesn't not make sense, but do something you hadn't considered. Who knows? Something might come of it. And I had the time and it didn't cost me anything. Give it a shot. You never know what might come of it. And it was a fun experience. Yeah. It's something I'll never forget. But yeah, yeah. You, you know, you leave. We were talking about that earlier. You just sort of leave your mind open to it. Who knows what might come of it? And I, I insist that uh, I did. I did uh, extra. I was an extra on a movie and a TV show. And I insist that's harder than acting. Like they call it background. I'm like, that's way harder than acting, acting background. acting. There's a lot. It, it's so hard to, to yeah. not like all your movements. You're like, I just need to be natural. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so unnatural when I'm trying to be natural. If I was Dude, just I totally speaking. <laughs> I totally screwed up one time, although it turned out fine, but I, I couldn't help it because I was sort of new to the game. I didn't know the rules. And as an extra person, you basically have to act like the, the characters that are speaking, 
kind of don't exist. They, mm-hmm. you know, you can't refer to them at all. And so there was sort of this, you know, those pan shots they have in like sort of the dramas where the two people like this was in the hospital scene. And I was working, I was just working at like the, the reception desk, whatever, whatever they are, nurses station or something like that. And I'm standing there. And so the two of them are staring down the hall <laughs> and as the camera's pulling back and it's supposed to be this long shot, as I suppose they're looking at the person being wheeled in, will they live? I don't know what it was. I just lost something. And as they're staring, I was like, I, t- <laughs> I turned my head and I'm not supposed to do that. And and I heard the director called cut is like, and he initially he was like, oh, and he was like, okay, that actually wasn't that bad. Let's try it again without that. But that actually wasn't that bad. But I just, my eyes were drawn to what they were looking at and I totally screwed the scene up. And I don't know in the end if they ended up using it, but it felt so unnatural. These people going through this traumatic experience watching yeah. their loved one be wheeled away. And for me to go like, do, 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 what are we going to have for lunch today? Do, do, do. <laughs> that I just naturally started to follow it down. But I ended up getting more stuff after that. So who knows? Maybe that director liked what I did. I yeah, it, it's, well, I, the, the first time I did it, the director's like, oh, it, it's, you guys make the movie. Because if you're not there, it's a movie. With you right. there, it's real, like that. Right. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> I so I uh, I'm uh, and, and part of it too is as you know, it's you got to be silent. So yeah. you got to like ventriloquist. You you just like one of one of the things I did. I was I was on it. I was at brunch with a with a lady. You know, a date. I don't know whatever. I, I didn't do a whole backstory in my head. But I'm just right. sitting there and I'm mouthing, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Right. And she's laughing and I'm laughing and I'm like, I hope that's usable. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's it's funny uh, when you end up going to craft services, uh, which is just like lunch hour or whatever it might be. And there is a hierarchy, even though suppose they're all actors and all that. But, you know, you get the main cast, you got the supporting cast, and then you got the extras. <laughs> and sort of we sort of just come in, uh, you know, almost like, can I have your scraps? It's it, so uh, for as much as we're all there creating something for as much as all we make the movie It's like, I know I knew where I stood in the in the in the pecking order, at least here in New Zealand. I knew where I stood, but I was happy to get paid for a day to hang around and keep on doing the scene and, and what walkthroughs, I believe they're call them you pass by you go past the door and all that and then you know you always try you can see this in some movies where some people will like try and get their face on the camera as they go by every now and then they lock it into the camera too you'll see that in some film like we we watched die hard you know over this past christmas because yeah it is a christmas movie and there's one or two scenes where somebody (laughs) somebody locks right onto the camera it's like and they didn't take it out they must have missed it thought oh screw it we messed the shot up we gotta move on but no i had fun with it yeah, no, no, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I encourage people to do it because so many people, when I, the very first thing I did, I was a lead. So right. I've never been on a film set or, you know, or anything. And, and I'm, I'm a lead and I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do here. I'm at, I'm asking the, the, uh, the, uh, PA is like, what, what am I supposed to do? What does that mean? Yeah. They just said something and everyone reacted and I don't know what that means. <laughs> All right. Um, but whether or not you want to get into acting, you know, being an extras, it, it you kind of get a sense of what it's like. It's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of a guess. It's kind of fun to see a production being made. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it And it's hilarious to me, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this uh, a million times from radio and, and everything else you've done. It's like, oh, I always wanted to do that. I always... I, I've had when I got when I got the the acting role, uh, I, I had so many people like, oh, I've always wanted to be in a movie. They're like, I don't even want to talk. I just like to be in the background. And I'm like, I mean, it's not that hard to find background roles. Like, you know, no. it, it's really not that hard. It's that. Do you want it? I guess this kind of touches on what we were saying. Do you really want it? Because if you wanted it, yep. it would happen. Like it, it's yep. it's trust me, it's. It's not that hard to, to, you know, be an extra somewhere. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, shoot, shoot your shot, people, right? I mean, the, right. The, the worst that can happen is you get a no. Um, I would Which be just fine too, because you keep hitting those no's and eventually someone's going to say yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Just, just keep, keep going. Uh, I'd be remiss. I want to ask you for your plugs, but before I do that, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, do you have a situation with your narcolepsy the worst time you fell asleep that you should not have? Uh, driving. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I, thankfully, I wasn't in motion at the time. I have sort of, I do have it in my head uh, over the years of having it where I can uh, I, I know if I'm sitting up to not fall asleep, which is really kind of difficult sometimes on those cases where like I haven't been at home and I've like been at a friend's house. Oh, you can sleep in the very comfy chair. It's like I can't I've, I my brains. If I'm sitting upright in some fashion, I can't fall asleep. But yeah, there were a number of times where when I was driving, I'd hit a light and my alarm clock was a guy honking behind me, waking my ass up. <laughs> Thankfully, it's never happened on the motorcycle. It's never happened, oh, but God. you know, like I said, I have definitely had moments on the motorcycle. Definitely, um, uh, I'd say probably a good half dozen in the last year or two, where I'm riding along and I can feel myself starting to fade a bit. Not falling asleep, but I sort of go into that pretty dreamy state. And there definitely have been moments where I go like, I don't know how I got to where I am at this moment because I'm really spaced out and out of it. It's not that I'm a danger because I'm going to weave into somebody. I just can't cognitive cognitive. I can't say the word. I can't remember where or how I got to this moment in time. I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. Thankfully, it fades after a couple of minutes, but that's a pretty horrifying couple of minutes. Um, yeah. yeah. But no, for the most part, yeah. Being in the car, getting woken up by a guy honking at me. Not not the worst situation. Uh, no, it could bad. be a hell of a lot worse. Some people have cataplexy. And that's when, like, they've got narcolepsy, but get this, they've got this extra thing. You can go to YouTube and take a look. If there's, like, uh, if there's, like, an emotionally high moment, like, sometimes people will scare these people for a laugh, and they'll pass out. Or if there's an emotionally stressful moment, they'll lose muscle tone. But there's some people that actually fall down and hurt themselves from this. Thankfully, I don't have that. It could be so much worse. And that's really difficult for people that have got uh, that version of it. Did, have you ever seen the movie Rat Race? Many years ago, yeah. Yeah, the guy with narcolepsy. I, I... Yeah, that's the thing. For a short <laughs> for a time there, it was a bit of a, a punchline, and more people knew about it. Uh, and I'm not bothered by that at all. It is funny. It's a funny idea, the idea of all sleep. Uh, but I'm surprised by how many people don't know about it. Uh, Jamie Kimmel has narcolepsy. Yes, you don't I see was, it on his face. I was going to say He's got that. some killer bags <laughs> under his eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Adam Carolla talks about that. His he he had to take a nap every day just to to shoot yeah. the man show. So yeah, you know, 
it it it, uh, it can strike any of us. Yep. Uh, Dick, where can people find you and uh, and and your your work? Uh, best place just go to my website. It's just my name.com, dickwybro.com. Um, I'm the most I'm excited right now. Like I, I love the series I'm writing. And I mentioned earlier, it's kind of reverse werewolf story. It's about a wolf that gets bitten by, by this infected soldier. And then he wakes up the next day and he's human. Um, and so when the full moon comes out, he turns into a werewolf unless it's not a full moon. Because I was trying to think when I was coming up with the idea for the story, it's like I didn't want to wait 28 days as an author to, to where the fun part happens. So every 28 days, ah, now he's a werewolf. So I started to think as a storyteller, like what if, why is it just the full moon? What if it was a lesser moon? Maybe he becomes a lesser sort of wolf. And so that's why if it's a lesser moon phase, he turns into dogs. <laughs> so if it's a little sliver of a moon, he turns into a tiny dog. If it's a half moon, he turns into a pug. If people seem to love the pug. And so the entire story is about this, this man who used to be a wolf is trying to find the secrets so he can go back and be a wolf again. And that's what he wants. And he's helped by this, uh, this woman named Imelda, uh, who's sort of this former criminal trying to get away from this, uh, this crime family. And so it's fun. It's a fun sort of adventure. Uh, and what I'm most stoked about is I created this, and I know a lot of people might be listening, not seeing it, but... I'm in a two-car garage in Auckland, New Zealand, and it's just one quarter of a two-car garage because that's my space. All the rest of this belongs to my wife. All this is hers, <laughs> but this is my space. So I wrote most of this series, the first three books of the series, I wrote at like four o'clock in the morning before I went to my television job. And I would do 10 hours a day at that television job. So a story that I wrote at four o'clock in the morning in a two-car garage in Auckland, New Zealand, Two of these amazing actors have put their voice behind the series. And the uh, first audiobook just came out last month. And the second one should be coming out here very shortly. Um, but it's the Podium Audio had within two weeks of publishing this, Podium Audio, which is one of the big ones, they did The Martian and a bunch of other things. Um, they came to me and said, We want to turn this into an audiobook. And so they've produced this, put these two amazing people behind it, and it's it's gorgeous storytelling. They're so good. You mentioned the idea of being an actor. It just brings a whole new element. It's just like this, it's this blockbuster movie for the mind. They're so good at it. So if you're if you're not a big sort of ebook or paperback reader, go pick up the audiobook. These guys are so good. It's really great. Check it out. Yeah, I I will. I'm gonna make another for myself. Do it. Sorry, listeners, for the delay. I, I gotta write this. No, not at all, man. And I love to hear. To hear what, I love to hear what you think of it, man. It's uh, I've really, I'm really enjoying the process. It's so neat to hear what they can bring to it. It's uh, Tim Campbell and Maria McCann. They're both brilliant. They're so good. Nice, nice. I will, uh, I will check that out, and I encourage my listeners to as well. Dick, thank right. you so much uh, for hopping on. This has been a blast. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you uh, the before the super bowl happens here so you can tell me what happens and i can place all my bets we'll split I'll, it I'll, we'll yeah, split it 50 50 it's only fair. <laughs> it's like Biff that sounds great sports man. Albanac. <laughs> absolutely man thanks jeff i really enjoyed the time brother yeah me too thanks dick that's it that's all hope you had a ball thank you dick wybrow for joining me on the podcast um yeah you may notice the echo in the intro and outro that's because my office is empty 
So there's a lot of space. This studio has a desk, a microphone, and uh, boxes in it. You can see how busy the background was. It's, it's just white walls right now. It's like an insane asylum, which may be fitting. I don't know. You decide. Anyways, podcast is going to keep coming weekly. The YouTube stuff is going to ramp up a lot more uh, when I have uh, established a new home. And uh, sold this one, of course. Uh, so stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe over there. Follow on all the socials. And uh, thanks to Dick Wybrow for coming on the podcast all the way from New Zealand. Um, and uh, boom, it's over. Thanks for listening. It was amazing. <laughs> I I loved it. Be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You went just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yup. See you next week.